Hey, Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is on Patreon. Yeah, if you're one of the people who have been sending us letters saying that you want more Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories in your life, this is your opportunity. Boy, do we love doing this. If we could just do this all the time and not do anything else, well, I guess we would just do this, right? And we'll make it easy and cheap and affordable because we do love it so much. There's two membership tiers right now. The Record Store Kid membership tier is just 5 bucks a month. Uh, get our weekly email update, which we will be launching with our Patreon, and uh, at least one spinoff episode per month. And then we have another tier. It's the Headphone Junkie tier. That's $10 a month, and you get two Two Patreon-only spinoff episodes per month, plus that weekly newsletter. That's simple. That's it. If you want to support the show, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash stories, and we'll throw that link in the notes. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. We're the story guys at gmail.com. Put you in touch with us with your questions, and you can give us ideas for a show. Guys, with the Super Bowl coming up, any thoughts on the history of halftime show artists or insight into how they're picked? Uh, you're more of a football fan than I am, so I'm going to just pitch it to you. Do you know much about the history of the Super Bowl? Go, Murdoch. Yeah, the I mean, the NFL was actually around a long time and the AFL came later and then it was a merger of the two and they decided uh, they were going to have it, the same draft and they would have like that and at the end they would have the NFL and AFL would have like a you know a, a game between the so two and it changed eventually as you know as it went on after a couple of years do they eventually become the conferences it becomes NFC and AFC ah uh, so okay that's, okay that's, that makes eventually sense eventually goes there but initially it's the NFL and the AFL and those first two Super Bowls are really significant because Lombardi was the coach of the Packers, and he won both of those games and uh, became uh-huh, like this amazing uh-huh, guy. That name. And then Joe Namath with the fur coats. Yeah, won the, <laughs> I, I know the both Jets. those guys. I'm hanging on. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's. I mean, that's how it works. But but at the time, it was it was a little while before they had music. But yeah. that's okay. We can talk about that too in a bit. So what's your what's your personal history with the Super Bowl? Was it a big tradition? When you were growing up? Yeah. So it's something I did with my dad. We did that uh, until I got old enough to have a car. Um, and I remember I watched it maybe, I guess, when I was like kindergarten on, so late okay. 70s, yeah, like wow. on until I could I could get out of there. So it was totally weird how long that it took to actually book real like famous music artists. So I didn't like know this, was, right? It happens because the other TV networks are pulling ratings away from the game. And they're like, how do we get guys like Brian, who don't really care about football, to watch this football game? And it's like, oh, let's find musical acts who appeal to everyone as broad as possible. And before we get into that, I want to just set it, set the table for all of our listeners. Once I was able to get a car, I would go over to Carlita Garza's house, and her parents were so nice to let dozens of teenagers come over <laughs> and do things that they shouldn't be doing at her house, mm-hmm. which involved mm-hmm. whiskey wings and pizza. Oh, yum. And Three of my favorites. Let's, let's hear what you were doing, Brian. Uh, so I was a commercials guy, and I was a church kid. Church congregations love the Super Bowls, right? Because there's nothing like big, burly men giving each other concussions that says praise Jesus. So 
lots of potato <laughs> chips in the fellowship hall was sort of my vibe. But my, my main memory, seriously, when you say Super Bowl, I just think of like super big bowl of Lay's. That's so crazy. Remember the Super Bowl a couple years ago where, you know, the lights went out? Oh, yeah. I, I forgot n- about I that, that, dude. I missed that. Do you know why? You were passed out. We were, were my lights were out, dude. We were podcasting at this time. Our old show. I had totally yeah. forgot about this, and I remember talking about it on the show. That yeah, it was a really big deal. It was New Orleans, right? You were passed yeah. out upstairs in yeah. your house. Yeah, someone had to bring me home from the party. <laughs> Forgot about happened. that story. Thanks for outing that yourself on that one. That's good. Uh, I'm just keeping it real. It so, happened. That stuff never happens, and I never miss a Super Bowl, and that was weird. So, but you know, the first Super Bowl and this year's Super Bowl have something in common. What is it? That's the Chiefs, the Kansas the City Chiefs. Yeah. Chief, yeah, Chiefs versus Packers in '67. There is a celebrity musician at the first halftime show, but really, there is. It's it's Al Motherfucking Hurt. was huge. If you're listening right now and you do not know who Al Hurt is, first of all, pull up whatever streaming service you like to do and look up, pick a playlist and go deep. But not only did he play the Super Bowl, he played Kennedy's inaugural ball. That's how oh. big Al Hurt was. Jeez, man. Did he have one with the, like the best marching band, like Grambling State or something? Or? Yeah. So the first one, Grambling State and like Arizona State, where, where the marching bands were there. Okay. And then... That's sort of the M.O. It's like marching bands. It's sort of like the way they do NBA halftime now or something, right? It's not a big celebrity to do. It's like dancing groups, and there's this group called Up With People that performed a ton. Can I say, Up With People? Tell me about Up With People. You a big fan? No. I I remember remember when I first, you know, it's a long time ago, and I wanted to know, but like, what an abomination of everything that is good and and fantastic... (laughs) In, in the world of rock and roll, pop music, whatever, like how silly this was a thing of like... Listen, if, if any former of, members of Up With People are listening right now, Murdoch doesn't really mean this. I'm sorry, but He's a bunch of white, white folks walking around and like dance, like <laughs> barely dancing and doing... Like it just looks so terrible. Like there's nothing, nothing cool about it. Like it just looks so uncool. And there's nothing like... They're, they're singing... They all... Like they kind of sound like Christian songs. Like everything has that... <laughs> That stuff. This is why I don't understand Christian rock. Like everything has that sort of like happy, you know. But now I have that come come to Jesus. I have like come to Jesus with the potato chips. I have the <laughs> the idea that you have potato chips in your head with Jesus with the Super Bowl and Pat Summerall and John Madden. This is so yep. freaking yep. so weird. This is our lives. How different they were. Oh my gosh. So this is how it is for a while. They use up with people. They they pick themes. Like, did you know one of the early NFL halftime shows was themed around? A tribute to Louis Armstrong. That's a real one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, tribute to Disney or Yeah, that sort of stuff, right? There was one like Tribute New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. like all that junk. And then they basically realize, as we've said, that the other networks are pulling um some numbers. And so in the nineties, I new kids on the block, and then ninety-three is Michael Jackson and ninety four is 90, country. Yeah, 90, that's right. And Michael Jackson was ninety three, and that was a big deal because he like disappeared across the stadium. I don't know if you remember that. He was like in one place, the stadium, and then he was on the other place, the stadium. It's like, oh, he's magic. 
Also a big deal because that's the only halftime show on record where the performer got a specific talent fee. Mm. This is another yeah, question right. that comes up, right? People are asking uh, if, they get paid. if they get paid. I, I, I've been part of those conversations before, and the answer is no. They get their costs covered, but typically it's, I mean, such a big stage that there is so much advantage in terms of your imaging and your marketing that you go and do it without your a traditional talent fee. In 93, because it's new and it's Michael Jackson, who is the biggest performer in the world, they give him like $100,000 for his Heal the World charity. So it's not just a straight cash payment to him, but there is a payment of sorts that's agreed upon. Yeah. And now it's even more complicated. It doesn't make any sense to anybody to explain what they do. Well, in terms of so listen to, to play. listen to this. The I don't know if you remember hearing this. We talk about rumor and innuendo on this show. There was uh, a couple of years ago. I think it's 2014. It's almost 10 years ago now. The Wall Street Journal broke this story that the NFL was trying to get artists to pay them. That's the thing. Yeah, and. Apparently was not well received. The NFL has denied it, still denies it. Wall Street Journal says they've got a source on it, so I don't know. Yeah. But that that's a good one. Uh, so I got to thinking about all of these shows, right? So basically we have at this point 30 years of shows. 92 through 2022, we're about to get Rihanna. And I was like, is there one in particular that we should zero in on when we're thinking in terms of our show, talking about rumor and innuendo? And then I was like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course there's one. Uh, so where were you February 1st, 2004? I can't believe I remember. I was at Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and another life. <laughs> and I didn't care about either team. I, like, wasn't paying attention to those Ravens and somebody, and I don't even remember. Like I, And, like, now I watch the Ravens because Lamar Jackson from Louisville is there, and I got a pal that likes the Ravens. And I remember that day I said something really offensive to everybody and you know you can't take me anywhere. That's that's what second marriages are for. So uh, that's <laughs> do you, where do you I remember was. what you said, or you just remember you said something bad. I just remember at some point I was like, ah, I lost the room. Damn it! Yeah, it happens. Like so, I said, happens to the best of us. No, uh, no, it it, it it happened to me in that <laughs> scenario a lot. Just with that extended family, I just I guess I was just a uh, jerk. I don't know. God. I don't. I don't know, man. I I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Just to, I was at Tim and Jeff's house. Tim and Jeff. We're good buddies of mine, still dear friends of mine. It was just at Tim's wedding a few months ago. They had just taken the morning show job at the top 40 radio station that I worked at, right? So we were both in radio at this time, right? Yeah, I was, um, 2004, I was still at, um, it was an AM FM that became Viacom, yeah, in Denver. And so I had helped them move into this townhouse when they moved to town the summer before. And I basically remember two things about this townhouse. Number one, the evening that we're about to discuss, watching the Super Bowl in 2004. Very vividly remember being there for that. Number two, I remember the fact that at some point, Jeff, who was the less practical, more impulsive of, of my two buddies, Tim and Jeff, thought it would be an awesome idea to get literal truckloads of sand dropped into their very small backyard to create a quote-unquote beach. And what? then very quickly realized that it was a terrible what? idea because it meant sand would be in the house always. They dump sand in their freaking backyard <laughs> yeah. just for for the yeah. hell of it. Yeah. What kind of a stupid <laughs> idea is that? It's a terrible idea. Uh, it was like fun once, and then it was like, why is it February and I'm putting my feet in sand? Uh, so why is why is there sand in the bathroom? 
I will say, this particular Super Bowl halftime show has become a bit of one of those where were you moments for people of a certain age, I think. That's right, because it happened in what? Yeah. yeah. I So I asked my brother, who is six years younger than me, so he would have been, if I'm in my, what was this, 2004? So I'm 21, so he is uh, 15. And he said he was at a church youth group thing. <laughs> <laughs> which you know would be an awkward place to see all of this um, i'm sure they prayed for janet and i was i was 30 and i was at uh i was with my my ex-wife's family i remember standing frozen with my mouth open when this happens just like all of us saying to each other wait that didn't just happen right like what <laughs> did i imagine that did i see her nipple did he rip <laughs> off the like i really yeah yeah, and yeah. I, and and I I think I was the person who verbally said that for everybody. I like said it <laughs> you'd already pissed me. everybody off that day. It didn't matter if you just. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I pissed everybody <laughs> off, but I said something that was just weird, and uh, like I kind of I lost everybody. But but yeah, that was it. Was really strange, and there was no no way of looking. It's like it was gone after that. It's well, like it cut. It, it cut really quick. It cut really quick. Even looking back at at the tape for research for this show, I still don't really know what I, what I see. Like, you know, now you have the ability to go back and watch it. That's the crazy thing. It's a time capsule moment for a lot of reasons in 2004 because there's not much digital recording really at that point. So it happened, yeah. and then we just had to convince ourselves that it happened. There was no rewinding. Let's just talk about what leads to this and then the aftermath of this because this moment in history has a massive effect on entertainment on the Super Bowl halftime show, on music, on a couple of careers in particular. It's a wild ride. So it happens in 2004, but we start our story a little earlier than that. Let's go back to the fall of 2001. NFL is laying out plans for the Super Bowl to happen in early 2002, of course, and in talking with host city New Orleans, they land on Janet Jackson. We should say, part of the question that we were asked was, how do these acts get picked? Yeah. And... And we haven't covered that. So quickly, here's what happens. NFL has some control. And they're looking for basically the most crowd-pleasing act. Like we talked about earlier. They want to get the most eyeballs possible. So they're looking for somebody who's going to be mostly non-offensive and have a really wide swath of fans. So big pop act, typically. Right. But the NFL doesn't really get the final say. The NFL is supposed to make a short list. And then the host city gets the final say. And so they're talking with New Orleans and the NFL in New Orleans agree that the best option is Janet Jackson. So Janet Jackson is going to headline the 2002 Super Bowl halftime show. But then something happens on September 11th, 2001. Right. So that kills that that idea. The NFL is the, the commissioners go to a U2 show in New York in October a couple of the officials from NFL. And when they see what U2 was doing at the time as a tribute, you know, the first responders and the city and all that, they, they like had a whole light show and a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. They had that heart stage then. That was the... Right, thing. right. Was, and so at that point, they're like, well, this is what needs to be on the world stage in February. So they scrap Janet, they bring in U2, and that's what goes down in 02. In 03, you get the No Doubt Shania Twain weird year. Do you remember that one? Gosh, um, I, I certainly don't, but thanks for reminding me. Wow, that's weird that that was a thing. And then at the end of 2003, they start working on the production for 2004. And 
this is when the Viacom CBS merger has happened. And it had happened a few years before. And the last, so when CBS has the rights, they now have the ability to use MTV to produce, right? That That's right, yeah. And so this is the second time they're able to do that. I think it was 2001 or 2002 where they do it before. And so yeah. they now, for the second time, and I believe it's the last time because of what happens, MTV gets to produce this show. So it becomes very hip. And yeah. they decide, let, let's, let's talk again about this cultural moment. We've been spending some time on this show talking about the early 2000s. And I think, again, it's worth pointing out this whole intensity around the political state of the country after the 2000 election. It seems quaint, given the last decade we've just lived through, but the Bush and Gore thing has happened. I recently mentioned deep diving in a broader sense into the climate of those years, and you know, everything was colored by the 2000 election, the 9-11 attacks, the hunt for weapons of mass destruction, the prospect of another four years with George W. at the helm. So you have MTV coming in to produce this show on CBS. And most of us heading into our first election, which I this was my first election would be 2004 that I could vote in. Far out. Wow. Because I was just shy of the cutoff in 2000. We were all a little skeptical, you know. What what is does our vote matter? There's you know there's just apathy always for younger voters. But after everything that had happened, you either sort of swung one way or the other, right? And so there was already all this talk at MTV of launching this campaign to get young people out to vote in November. So they're already talking about it in January and February, and they called it Choose or Lose. And they're like, well, this is great because now we can promote the Choose or Lose campaign. On the Super Bowl, the literal largest stage in our country, and this should do great things. And so here's a quote from MTV chief at the time, Van Toffler. Quote, with Janet set as a featured performer and more performers and surprise collaborations to follow, the stage has been set to produce an event that the Super Bowl audience will remember for years to come. And we'll be able to make sure that George Bush doesn't get elected not. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't happen. So No, it didn't. And your your first election was 2004, and mine was 92. And this is how different everything was. So I remember I was in college, and I voted. And Clinton wins, and people are cheering outside the dorms. Like, totally, and that's all young people. And so I, you know, I've never, I grew up, and I never was around that ever again. You know, it never happened. So 2008? Where were you in 2008? I was in my apartment and I was watching that with my girlfriend, now wife, and her friends. The person that we saw say that Obama won was Jon Stewart. It's really interesting. I was at a murder by death show. No way. Yeah, you remember that band? No way. Yeah, they stopped they stopped down and everyone did a toast when the wow. official because you know it's like in the middle of their set because they announced they I think they announced it at ten thirty or something, and so they were the headliner and finishing their set. And uh, they all brought out drinks and toasted the whole club. And, yeah, it was, it was wild. Oh, far out. So back to 2000-ish, 2004. They go back to Janet. She says, yes, I will do the show this year. And, let, I mean, let's just talk about Janet Jackson for a minute because we've, like, not gotten to do that. We've talked about her brother plenty on this show. What's your entry point for Janet as a performer? Do you want to talk about the celebrity part first? Because I knew her before the music career. Right, so this is something I had totally forgotten about because of our age difference. Yeah, and I watched her on Good Times. Like, I watched that show 
all the time. I did watch different strokes too. And like her character on, on good times, I remember there were times where she was like in like kind of in deep shit. Like there was stuff that was <laughs> happening that was like at the time felt like it was controversial storylines as a kid watching it on TV about things that was happening. Right. I found out recently that my, um, my spouse does not like her as a musical performer and as, which is totally different because I had the very first LP. Dude, let's wait a while. Yeah. Well, let's wait a while. Yeah. You know what that song's about? About waiting for the for the good stuff? It's like, let's wait, baby. Let's wait a while before it's too late. Let's wait a while before we go too far. And then my <laughs> first name ain't baby. It's Janet Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Yeah. And Rhythm, yeah. Na- Rhythm Nation, I thought, was a terrific record, too. So I was I was into her from the first LP. Like, I, I really, but I was, a, I was a little in and out, but I, I did enjoy her musical career. But I never saw her in movies or anything. Oh, dude, I have the weirdest entry point to her. So mine, due to age, is again. So I, I'm born in 83, so 93 is like her... She never shouldn't like disappear, but there's like a little bit of a renaissance in 93, right? I had no context for that song. I had no idea that it was in Poetic Justice. I didn't even know what Poetic Justice was. I was not allowed to watch that at 10 years old. I did yeah. not know that that song was nominated for an Oscar. And I did not understand the larger narrative that was happening around her career because she just very quickly, like there is a period in her career where she goes out from under her dad's management, which is a big moment. And that's where all the control stuff comes from, about her gaining control, right? In 93, she puts out the record, and I do remember, it's burned in my head, that album cover, where she is topless. And then there's the literal image of her that will end up on Rolling Stone at the end of that year that becomes iconic. And I didn't know any of that at the time. I just heard it on Mike Shannon's Hot 9 at 9 Countdown on 99.7 DJX, and I recorded (laughs) that shit on cassette. And I listened to it a lot. And I remember weirdly being into this loudmouth, redheaded girl with dimples named Morgan, who's in my fourth grade class. And I, I kept being like, I should pass this on a mixtape with this song on it. And if you if you go listen to that song, that would have been wildly age appropriate. The second verse is it. all about making love. Uh, Get heavy in the paint there, yeah. Brian. <laughs> so I'm, lay the pipe. Lay the pipe, Brian. Gl- glad to say I did never slip that tape or anything else to Morgan. Uh, but as for Janet... This period for her is a big deal and it plays into our story, right? There's a New York Times documentary that I heavily use as a source for this story. Have you seen this? It's called Malfunction. No, I didn't know this. Where where can I watch where can we watch it? Brian? It's on Hulu. I put a link in the show notes. And they draw they spent a lot of time drawing this pretty direct line from 93 to 11 years later at the Super Bowl. And in terms of what all of this represented to conservative Americans at the time as a symbol of female sexuality. So I think that context is really important. But the other thing that happens in this 1993 period of Janet's career is this further cementing of her as an icon and a concert tour hot property. Have you, did, you've not gotten to see her live, have you? No. And there is that one tour I wanted to see. I remember that was really cool, but the, I can't remember. The Velvet Rope called. Tour? The Velvet Rope Tour. Oh my yeah, God, dude. So you know the Velvet Rope Tour? Without the Velvet Rope Tour, we might not have had the sorts of tours we've had from everybody from Jay-Z to Panic of the Disco. Like, 
she sort of changes how stage productions can be done. And if you go read about the Velvet Rope tour, it was like this huge concept where she was letting you behind the Velvet Rope and there were all these sets. And I mean, it was like, and there's also this very controversial thing where she would strap a guy to a table and dance on him. She'd pull a guy out of the, out of the audience. Oh, and you can go watch this. It's in the documentary, but you can find it on YouTube because this was people who were very conservative did not like this. This is the sort of stuff they would point to about her owning her sexuality. And I will say, whew, 30 years later, still holds up. It is pretty hot stuff. But it, it's interesting because she tie, I did read this in the research. She ties him to a table. This was part of the whole act. And people were like, oh, she's like a dominatrix. And she, you know, this is a term that they'll use in 2004, dominatrix, because of the way she dresses and presents herself. And, you know, just sort of looking for degrading terms to call her in the press. Yeah. And some of it goes back to this. The thing about that is that there's an interview where she explains it was never about dominating the person. It was about early in that tour, they didn't strap the guys in, and the guys started fondling her. Oh, yeah, my gosh. And so they were like, we'll solve this problem. We will strap them into the table. That's why they did it. Not because she was trying to exert her dominance or anything. So it just, you know, there's a lot of those little details. This documentary does a good job of talking about it. But the the Velvet Rope Tour, here's why it's important beyond the effect it has on concert touring for the next 20 years. It's important because she gets to pick the opening acts, and she picks two relatively unknown acts. One, Usher Raymond. Uh. I I will just tell you that I entered radio, pop radio, in the early 2000s when he was literally the hottest of all properties. We would You'll understand this, and I think maybe I've said this on the show before. There was a period early in my career where we were trying to negotiate playing five a records that were Usher songs. Wow. And there was only five songs in the A category. A few years before this, 98, he's just coming out. So Usher is, is the first act she brings out. And the second act she brings out is a boy band called NSYNC. NSYNC. Yeah. There, there's a ton of interviews around this time where the group, the group, all five of them are asked about going on tour with Janet. And every time they're asked about it, Justin Timberlake specifically will grab the microphone and talk about himself being a huge fan and how excited he is to be on the tour and about how he watched her videos growing up and about how he was influenced just like Murdoch by the Rhythm Nation album and tour. And so this arrangement, performing with her endorsement night after night, is a huge career boost for these boys. This is, you know, you make the argument that without her, they don't get to the status that they get. And on the Velvet Rope Tour, she will actually perform with them on some nights. So, wow. Yeah, so they're this baby act. They're these young guys, and they get to perform with this icon and really boost their careers. In the years in between Velvet Rope Tour and Super Bowl 2004, which is about a five-year period, Janet Starr, it doesn't disappear. It might sink a little, but Timberlake specifically and NSYNC get huge. Justin is the one guy in that group who's able to parlay that fame into solo success. He actually, yeah. they all try it. I remember having the J.C. Chazé uh, solo album, which I remember sort of weirdly liking. That didn't work. Also, do you remember, did we work together the time that we were at a, I was at this country show that I was producing, and I realized Chris Kirkpatrick was backstage. Were you with me? I don't know. And sure. I, I, I remember having to pull someone aside and being like, 
I'm pretty sure that's Chris Kirkpatrick. And that person who must not have been you was like, oh, that's a hundred percent Chris Kirkpatrick. <laughs> He's put on a little weight, but that's a, that guy used to be in sync. That was me. That was you. Yeah. That was yeah. Me. You remember? I don't even want to say the name of the artist we were producing because I hate that artist so much. But is yeah. that is that who we're talking about? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't okay. remember that as much as now. I remember being. I remember that and not understanding what that was and how that had happened because that was all confusing. They just knew just, each other. Now, now we're being all vague. It was big and rich. Fuck big and rich. Yeah. Big and rich. <laughs> and he knew John Rich. I think is what it was. But yeah, he was just hanging out. It was an outdoor show, and so it was just like open air, and we were like, holy shit, Chris, I'm standing next to Chris Patrick right now. Anyway, working in pop radio during the time of all this happening, I felt like Justin Timberlake was huge. Like, about about Usher huge, right? And Janet was felt like a bit of a throwback. We were playing a few Janet songs, but at that point... You know, we transitioned out Rhythm Nation and stuff. We weren't playing stuff that, that was that old. So she helps give us Timberlake in both spirit and actuality. And then in 2002, Timberlake's first solo album comes out. It will go on to be certified three times platinum. Uh, 3.9 million copies of that thing sold in the U.S. Fess up. Did you ever own a copy of Justified? Yeah, I did. I <laughs> like you were going to say no. You were going to say no. I was going to say no, but I know I didn't purchase it. I was going to but... call bullshit. No, we 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 definitely were real heavy on unjustified on on the radio, and I got a copy of it. Uh, yeah. The the lead single, like I love you, which is fun, it has that acoustic guitar thing in it. That's two thousand two. More singles, including a very important song to the story called "Rock Your Body." Those all get pushed out in two thousand three. And meanwhile, Janet is spending eighteen months during this period while Justin is soaring to the top of the charts. She's working on this new record called that's going to be called Demita Joe. There's a lot of pressure on this because she spent a long time putting it together. And so this Super Bowl performance is the key because, you know, we sort of glossed over this earlier, but we said, what's the motivation for artists doing this all the way up until the streaming age? One of the, I mean, even now that, you know, there's a motivation to have your music heard, but when there was a direct record sales correlation, when people were going out and buying CDs, even as late as like 2008, when Tom Petty did the Super Bowl, there was a massive sales bump on like his greatest hits, right? Which had been out since 1993. And so in 2008, he's selling all these copies of his greatest hits. And you see this even in a, to a lesser degree in the streaming area where all of a sudden you have people buying or streaming or talking about or sharing videos or whatever of an artist just because they're on the Super Bowl and they might be using a song that was from 30 years ago. So it's a big deal. And this is how she's going to launch to meet a Joe. It, It is worth pointing out. I think right here that like, all American entertainment at this level is just totally driven by corporate interest. Let's remember that. <laughs> it, I was going to tell you, remember the uh, CBS Viacom MTV thing? Like I was involved with that because the radio group I am was involved with that. And we, there was a screening for Zoolander. And so of course we got to promote that because it was a CBS Viacom. Right. Paramount. The synergy you're talking about corporate Thanks. synergy is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and our radio group was part of that, and I, and I had to stand out. I watched it, and I was like, oh, my God, this movie is so terrible. And uh, and then afterwards, and now it's, like, great. It's, like, terrible so, great. I'm so glad you said this, because I remember this again. And all the is, product placement, oh, oh my yeah. God, in that movie. The, the difference in our ages. So I watched a bootlegged Napster download, well, probably LimeWire, downloaded copy of that movie in my buddy's dorm room. <laughs> and I remember thinking it was awful. And then oh, I met yeah. my wife a couple of years later, my now wife a couple of years later, and she has always loved that movie, mostly because it's one of those movies that is great to reference and quote. It's not that great to watch. Yeah. 
you know, the gasoline fight, the, you know, the orgy, the fashion shows. It's all hilarious. I always say school for ants. School for like, ants. I say that all the time, right? Meets, yeah, yeah, I do too. But she tried to show it to our kids somewhat recently, and they were like, yeah, we don't get it. <laughs> like, yeah, you got to watch it more than once, man. I didn't get it the first time either. So, yeah, I hated it. Uh, when this show is announced at the end of 2003, this is the lineup, okay? It's, it's key to know that the lineup is Janet with P. Diddy, Nelly, and Kid Rock. It's the details that people don't remember. You know, it's like, was Metallica the only band that sued Napster? No. But right. good God, does anyone remember that Kid Rock and Nelly were on that? So we're going to talk about this in a second. But the whole wardrobe malfunction and the whole thing about tearing clothes off, Nelly performs with a group of female backup dancers the song Hot in Hair. Hot in Hair. Yeah. Hot in Hair. They do this the same thing. They pull off, they do tear away clothes during hot in here. So that happens just a few minutes before her tear away clothes. Oh, well, then and that n- seemed like it would be normal. Nobody remembers that shit. Notice when I gave you that lineup, not a Timberlake in sight. But they're very quickly saying special guest, big surprises, right? Special guest, big surprises. Those become the big key phrases. And the irony of all this is that no one is concerned about the content of Janet's performance, right? CBS Viacom, very nervous about letting MTV have the reins again, and they're very nervous about content, but Janet's not what they're concerned about. They're concerned because they're letting P. Diddy, Nelly, and Kid Rock on that stage. There's a whole to-do about Kid Rock having an American flag sewn into his jacket. That's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. They're worried about offending people, letting him wear it. Um, they So they plan this big dress rehearsal, but because of the way the whole week works, they only get Thursday night. So the show's not till Sunday. They do the show Thursday night, and the execs, they watch it on the field, and they come up to the producer from MTV, whose name I will say in a minute because I know it's in here somewhere, and they have two and a half pages of notes. And it's pretty much all about Kid Rock, Nelly, and P. Diddy. But there's a little bit of concern about the finale because the way it works, if you forget, is that Timberlake will show up as a surprise at the very end of the set, and they will do the end of Rock Your Body. And the last line, you want to say it? Have you naked by the end of the song, right? <laughs> That's what it is. That was beautiful. Rock your body. Sound just like him. At, at this point, when he says that, he's supposed to pull a tearaway skirt that Janet is wearing, and she's going to be wearing a bodysuit, right? And again, this is basically what happens in Nelly's set. But during that rehearsal, no one likes the Janet version. NFL, CBS, they all come back and say, you got to cut this. So they go to Janet. They say, you can't do that part. And she says, okay. Now, after years and years, here is the story that has come out and mostly believed. The story goes that the next day, Wayne Scott Lucas, who is Janet's stylist, starts making changes to her wardrobe, but they do not tell anyone. Thursday night, Timberlake has flown in to Texas. This is in Houston. Then he flies back to LA or New York. I can't remember where. Flies back Sunday afternoon. They have to give him a police escort from the airport because he cuts it so close to get on stage. When he shows up, he is told that Janet and her stylist team want to talk to him before the show. This does not raise red flags with the production staff. They cart him backstage. They push him into Janet's dressing room. They shut the door. Story goes, 
that no one else is in that meeting. Then they take their positions and the show starts. And at the end of the performance, when Timberlake sings, Heavy Naked by the end of the song, he reaches over to pull off Janet's bustier and the full breast emerges. The universal reaction, both in living rooms in Colorado and in Arkansas and in youth group parties and at the MTV production hub and in the CBS office is, wait, what? What did I just see? The... The NYT doc spends a lot of time with this with the woman who directed this show. Her name is Beth McCarthy Miller. There it is. She explains that they all, like the MTV folks that are on the ground, miss it because they're just trying to get to the end of the show. And this is the very last moment. So they all breathe this big sigh of relief. They feel great. And immediately the phone starts ringing. And so she thinks the phone's ringing because somebody at CBS, Les Moonves or someone, is like, gonna tell her it was great right just the ceremonial yeah and they're like what the hell just happened and so there's this moment where she says and i only saw this in the documentary she says she calls her stage manager because i think she's in a production room or hub or you know wherever in the stadium and the stage manager says and this is a quote i don't know but I had a blanket for Janet to wrap her in and I put the blanket on her when she walked off stage and she was crying. And this is literally all that anyone knows for a while because Janet disappears. She literally gets in a car, gets on an airplane, gets the hell out of Dodge and no one can get a hold of her or her manager for hours and hours. Can't wait for you to, to tell everyone, tell all of us what how this really ends because I, I actually don't know how this, what really has happened. Well, the question becomes, it was this an accident? But immediately, all anybody wants to know is like, was this planned? Was it a publicity stunt? What the hell is happening? And Janet's not there to answer the question. And I will say, with retrospect and research, that's her mistake. This is the problem. You cannot just shut your mouth in these sorts of situations. And because if you're not talking, somebody else is, right? That's sort of the old adage. You don't control the narrative. You don't control the narrative. narrative Thank you you for saying that. Guess who controls the narrative now? It's MTV, Justin, CBS. Justin fucking Timberlake. Yeah. Timberlake doesn't leave. He is there. He immediately... So so it's funny because if you sort of watch the timeline... And I I mean, he's a young performer, still sort of getting... I mean, he's, he's very, very famous at this point. And he's done a lot over a short period of time. So I'm not saying he's a noob, but he's still a young guy. And... You know, even if maybe not fully grasping what had happened, he makes a comment immediately when he gets off stage that they catch on camera where he says something about, we love giving you all something to talk about. That's not a good look for what is going to happen after this. But then by like the end of the game, they get him on camera. And here's what MTV says. MTV leaves a statement that says the tearing of Janet Jackson's costume was unrehearsed, unplanned, completely unintentional, and was inconsistent with the assurances we had about the content of the performance. MTV regrets that this incident occurred. Jackson does not immediately release an official statement, but they do eventually get a representative who will say that she apologizes. They'll just say like MTV news gets a hold of somebody in her camp and they're like, she apologizes, right? But because she's staying quiet, immediately people just assume this was her idea. Which which went on for years. I was going to ask you what your perception was. Like, if you can sort of now knowing, you know, whatever you know in 2023, can you follow a timeline in your own brain of sort of what you thought happened over time? I thought that without Janet talking, it 
it sounded like that this was something she planned. And it was until, I guess, it was a couple years ago or something where Timberlake had like an, a, it was in a, I don't know, like a mini apology thing yeah. where he talked about things. He apologized, he apologized for, you know, the Mickey Mouse Club shenanigans, things that he had with his ex-girlfriend and Cry Me a River and how all that. And like he, he did, you know, he did an SNL where he kind of like disparaged that relationship and her and like she went through an enormous amount of crap. Like right. Brittany did with ever how the media treated her and everything is awful. And then um, I guess this, he apologized for this, that he that he didn't stand up for her or that he didn't. So, but I, I didn't really understand what really had happened. If you watch the NYT doc, they weave together all this news coverage of the aftermath into these like just fast cuts of the talking heads from the time. And they're all people you'll recognize, right? Most of these guys are in women are people who have had long careers and the stuff they're saying just seems so harsh with 20 years in the rear view. But the big term that emerges is wardrobe malfunction. Yeah, which we use now for everything all the time. It's like like yeah. part yeah, of it, stuff. It, oh, yeah, it's become American parlance, for sure. Uh, so a few minutes ago I said it's worth pointing out that all American entertainment at this level is driven by corporate interest. <laughs> it's worth saying that again to remind you why people at CBS, Viacom, and MTV are upset about this. It is not because they are moral gatekeepers. It is because they are businesses. And they're immediately concerned about fines. So the FCC is there to keep people in line for what they put and expose people to on the air without warning. And it's about money. So the head of CBS very quickly wants answers and clearly wants somebody's head on a platter, wants this to be a very clear, simple narrative. This person did this. We are dealing with this person. And the head of CBS at the time, of course, is Les Moonves. Everyone's favorite. I knew who he, that he was when I was a kid because Letterman would make fun of him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Letterman. Yeah. He was a, <laughs> he was a punching bag for Letterman. What a, what a beast to, to take on the head of the network. Oh my God. Letterman's a legend. I, I will say the last two decades have put a lot of things in a different perspective, but it is really nauseating to watch footage about this whole situation and about Les Moonves's reaction. And, to see what he does to protect his company using this idea of quote unquote decency as a shield. When we know now that his own personal behavior towards women was not decent. Not decent. He was a douchebag. Yeah. And a Skeletor. He's like the emperor from star Wars. <laughs> like, <laughs> groping women. Uh, but okay. So let's, let's power on to the timeline Monday. After the Super Bowl, Janet breaks her silence. So that doesn't sound like it's very long, but in these sorts of terms, when you're talking about something happening at this level, that's a long time. It, here is the statement she releases. The decision to have a costume reveal at the end of my halftime show performance was made after final rehearsals, Jackson said in a statement. Quote, MTV was completely unaware of it. It was not my intention that it go as far as it did. I apologize to anyone offended, including the audience, MTV, CBS, and the NFL. This is crucial because her statement is different than what Justin was saying the night before. He, I mean, because again, there's no script, right? And they are just shoving cameras in his face. So he sort of makes it sound like it was all unintentional. She makes it clear that the plan changed after the rehearsal on Thursday. This is her other big mistake. One is being silent. Two is then giving them a little too much detail. 
this basically puts the hurricane of blame solely in her ocean. At this point, for the most part, people back off Timberlake. Here's one of the things that happens that I didn't realize until researching this. The FCC gets a half a million complaints. Yeah. A half a million complaints registered about the event. And you can't ignore that. That's a problem because that's a government agency. And so this triggers a response. And there's this guy, Michael Powell, who at the time is the FCC chairman, who will later say, probably because it's no longer in vogue to sound outraged about this, that he drummed up his outrage sort of falsely because he it was what the job required. He's like on record saying this, which is also sort of nauseating. But this is what he says at the time. I'm outraged at what I saw during the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Like millions of Americans, my family and I gather around the television for a celebration. Instead, that celebration was tainted by a classless, crass, and sorry, I'm probably not supposed to use that voice. Deplorable stunt. Our nation's children, parents, and citizens deserve better. (laughs) I like how he switched. I'm trying to be respectful, but it's hard not it's hard to be respectful. There are so many quotes from white men during this time who basically just sound like they're protecting the sanctity of football, football. which I they're think protecting is protecting football. It's hilarious, right? I mean, yeah. some of the talking heads at the time, you would think like if you just heard how irate they got about what this meant for football, you'd think that Janet Jackson had purposely like dipped her nipple in holy water. Like it, it is so ridiculous. This like, let's protect football. Like it's just, it's ridiculous that we were spending so much energy, you know, sort of like protecting its honor. All that aside, let's talk about what actually happened. There is a, a set of narratives and we'll just sort of run down them. One is the, this was all an accident narrative, which I guess meant for us to believe that Justin didn't even mean to grab her clothing. I was always a little confused about that. It was like, did he bump into her breast? Like, I don't understand. So that was sort of one. It was like, this was all an accident. And that's like the thing that sort of happens first because that's what MTV says. This was all an accident, even though later in the statement, they sort of don't say it was an accident. Then there's this like other extreme that where people are like, this was a publicity stunt where Janet was trying to use her body to sell records. Yeah. That seems pretty obvious, like what people would think. And then there's this middle ground between those two extremes. And this is the one that seems to be the truthiest, if I can use that term, of all of them in hindsight. That narrative says that after they can't do the tearaway dress, they decide to ask for forgiveness, not permission. And she gets with her costume designer and they make this contraption on her chest where it is supposed to pop open via Justin on the night of the show, and under the black garment she's wearing will be a lacy red garment, which will have a pretty cool effect, right? Because you go from black to bright red. It will still play on the Rock Your Body lyric, but it'll be enough variance that it will barely be a blip of irritation with the corporate suits, right? They may be like, that wasn't planned, but like it'll look sort of cool, very few complaints most likely, and they'll still get like the, the buzz, from doing something sort of sensational with none of the fallout. I, th- I think that's sort of what they were hoping for. Yeah, and that's not what happens. That's not what happens. They pull Justin aside when he shows up. There's not a real rehearsal. Now, I did read things that said that he got to practice, but if he got to practice on any t- other timeline that I read, it had to happen in that like five minutes that he was in her dressing room. So I think practice was him like standing in the dressing room with her, grabbing it, pulling it, putting it back, grabbing it, pulling it, putting it back, right? Like just to sort of feel how it would it would happen. But then when he's on stage, he overshoots and somehow pulls the lacy red thing off with the black part of the outfit. And you've sort of said this, right? What really happens is entirely Justin's fault. Yeah. 
But that is not how the world will see it at all. This is Janet's devious plan to show that women like sex on national television and to sell records. It's Miss Jackson. If, if you're, you're nasty. nasty. I mean, see, like when you put all those puzzle pieces together, right? When you think about the things, the statements she had made nine, ten years ago before this, when she was promoting the Janet record, when she was on Rolling Stone, when she was making these statements about women being in control of their bodies, this is all backfire at this point, right? Because it doesn't matter if she says it was all an accident. They're going to say the track record is that this is totally in keeping with the narrative you've been trying to create for the last decade. A few things start to happen to her because of this. The reaction's swift because the Grammys are the next week. She's supposed to be on the Grammys. To perform, right? A Luther Vandross tribute. But they're both, both supposed to perform. They're both they're supposed both to be on it, though. Justin's going to be on it, too, separately. And guess what network has the rights? That's CBS. Janet and Justin both scheduled to perform unless Moonves holds them hostage. He says, you can come if, while you're on the air at the Grammys, you apologize. Oh my gosh i can't i didn't can't believe that justin did that do you rem- do you remember it have you watched it you can no, find it in the I'm, show notes no i'm just thinking that janet didn't perform right janet so didn't janet go didn't apologize janet yeah. says to fuck off yeah she she does not but go. but justin took what would be the high road people thought because he apologized so he apologized yeah. to get on the on the thing yeah. but, but here's the thing the rumor is again rumor and innuendo most people think that it wasn't just about doing it on the show. It was about going privately to Les Moonves and begging for forgiveness uh, at his all, office. Oh, gross. And yeah. Timberlake does it. He goes in person to Moonves's office. And as you might guess, Janet did not. Yeah. And then the repercussions get worse. This is a quote from that documentary. Les Moonves is a man who is known by people who worked for him as someone who would hold grudges. Someone who quoted the Godfather, someone you did not cross. Quoted the Godfather. That's enough, man. What a douche. Local radio stations will will, will decide to not play Demita Joe. Yeah, I remember this. They dumped the record. It didn't work. They've got somebody from Clear Channel at the time in this documentary, claiming innocence. Well, there was not a mandate. There was not a mandate from on high that they could not play Demita Joe. Now, if an individual in Nebraska didn't want to play Demita Joe, we couldn't help that. Yeah, well, that's clear channel. <laughs> also, there's that uh, Metallica, some kind of monster thing where in the middle of it, after they've done, they've completed St. Anger, that they have to do uh, hey, would you like to win a million dollars and Take your booger picking finger. They, that's where I always say that. I've taken that from that. Take your booger picking finger and tile this 800 nationwide number. And they're doing this clear channel contest. And, and they're like, we have to do this to get people to play our records. And the man, the Q prime guys are there. And they're like, yes. Yikes. So yeah. the station's one player, the record comes out in March and it is the lowest selling thing she'll do since 1984. There's all those complaints to the FCC. And then CBS and MTV executives are subpoenaed to testify in front of Congress about this. And from here, Jackson's career never really gets back to the level where it had been. Even dumb stuff starts happening. Like Disneyland had a statue where Mickey Mouse is wearing a Rhythm Nation shirt and they take the fucking statue down. Oh my God, what the hell? Fucking Disney. Meanwhile, <laughs> McDonald's has a Timberlake deal and guess what doesn't go away? 
The deal. The deal. With Timberlake, it stays. You can watch the congressional sessions on this whole thing. They're on the internet. And it is ridiculous, and it makes me hate politicians more than normal. But there are a lot of long-term effects to this whole thing. Let's let's talk about the long-term effects. This congressional hearing will have massive repercussions over the next 20 years. There are new fines put in place. 10x. 10 times the fines from before this incident for broadcast entities who break decency standards. And this is what's going to lead to Howard Stern. Stern leaves Clear Channel and and all that eventually and goes to Sirius XM. It's all because of this incident. Yeah. Then another massive sort of indirect result of the Justin Janet incident is YouTube. I I did not know this. So Chad Hurley, Steve Chen, and Jawad Kareem they start YouTube in 2005. And in interviews very early on, they will say that the Super Bowl incident was one of the reasons that they were inspired to push this product forward because of what we described earlier, of not being able to go back and watch it. And people really watched that video once, like YouTube was around, like that was a thing you, you could look at. And then on that note, this incident is considered to be one of the earliest examples of a viral video. People who did have the technology to record what was on TV at the time. TiVo, right? TiVo. They, yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah, it actually launches TiVo. Remember, we used to, we even called it that for a while. I TiVo'd that. And now it's like that. I don't think that company exists. TiVo executives would credit this incident with popularizing their company. You know, we keep referring to, you know, how different things are in 2023. Um, in the last 20 years, how attitudes have changed, how the things we talk about and address and accept have changed. And one thing I think is really interesting is, you know, we haven't really talked about the mental health aspect of this whole thing and what this is going to do to Janet. There is plenty of commentary from the last several years that points out the race issues and the gender issues that play in all of this. And we don't have to run super far into those, but clearly they're there. Yeah. Right. Because the one thing we haven't said, which we should point out is that in 2018, he does the Super Bowl again. Yeah, he's he's a two-timer. And there's even a nod to Janet where he does not sing the last line of Rock Your Body. They cut, oh and he makes sort of a joke. So besides that, I think the other thing about re-examining these stories with a current lens is this mental health component. And we we know that the entire Janet, the Jackson clan had a lot of mental health struggles over the years, right? One thing that I only saw once in all of the research, and I think it's interesting, it's not part of the narrative the whole time. Do you know what was happening in the wider Jackson family during all of this? The the Michael Jackson trial. Oh, so this is where the he was actually like arraigned and he was actually on trial. Yeah. On trial for actually being a child molester and all the things. Well, here's the timeline, right? They offer this to her in like November of 2003 in December of 2003 Michael Jackson's charge was seven counts of child molestation two counts Gosh. of the administering an intoxicating agent on January 16th 2004 he's arraigned so this is this is two weeks right, right before the Super Bowl two weeks on April 21st after the Super Bowl a grand jury indicts Jackson on a related charges and on 30th he pleads not guilty so this is all happening in the same period of time yeah, and it had to be awful, like the worst. I'll end with this. There's a quote from the guy who was like the head of the, I think it was the parent 
television something. It was basically like the PRMC that Tipper Gore had, but it was like for the for television, the parents' television yeah. something council. And he's in that documentary a lot. And at one point, they get him to read like the statements that he had made. They get him to read them in real time. And you can tell he's uncomfortable. But he, he does say at one point that if the culture wars had a 9-11, it was February 1st, 2004. <laughs> wow. Which... Interesting. Is an interesting way to put it, and I think it summarizes it pretty nicely. Let's end celebrating Janet. What's your? I'm not going to play again. I'll think of a different one. But what? What's your favorite Janet song? What should we end on? Let's play nasty, so that we don't have to play. Let's wait a while because it's such a down, you know, it's such a downbeat thing. It's such a weird thing to end on. All right. Uh, if people want to get involved in the show, if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if you want to tell us what weird party you were at uh, on February 1st, 2004. You can do that via wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Please continue to leave reviews. Tell your friends about the show. It really helps us a lot. And make sure that uh, you are checking out the Instagram. It's backslash rock and roll bedtime stories to find us there. And until next time, what should people keep doing? If you're feeling nasty, keep telling stories, everybody.